Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining Knights in the Breach. This podcast chronicles the people and events around the 740 from a faith-based perspective. This week, we'll be talking to Father Craig Eilerman. Alan, why don't you go ahead and tell everyone a little bit about Father Eilerman? Sure. This Columbus native was born on April 24th in 1957. He went to high school at Bishop Reedy. Then he went on to college and was ordained by Bishop Griffin at St. Joseph Cathedral in 1987. He did his associate work in Newark, Zanesville, and Lancaster. Being made pastor, uh, in, he spent years in St. Cecilia, Christ the King in Columbus, and St. Mary of the Assumption in Lancaster. For the past six months, he's been the administrator of St. Mark the Evangelist. Thanks, Alan. Without any further ado, here's our conversation with Father Craig Island. Good morning, Father. How are you this morning? Good morning, Michael. I'm doing well. Frigid outside today, but uh, this clear skies and sun, so that always helps. It is cold to say the least. How about you, Alan? How are you? Not exactly picnic weather, but we'll get through it. Yeah, it's good podcasting weather, I think, so this, uh, this is working out great. So, uh, Father, um, thanks for being here today. Could you open us up uh, with prayer, please? I certainly can. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Good and gracious God, you continue to fill our lives with every good blessing and gift. And today we are particularly thankful for the gift of the Knights of Columbus and the work of your church and for their facilitating this podcast, which hopefully aids the Catholic Church in the world by uh, allowing others to know of Christ and his church. We ask your blessings upon what we will do this morning. Keep us always focused on your greater glory, honor, and praise. And this we ask through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for that, Father. Thanks uh, Thanks again for giving us some time today. Uh, you have a little bit of a busy schedule. So, again, we appreciate uh, the few minutes we have today. Um, I want to jump right in, if that's okay, and, and talk a little bit about you growing up uh, on the west side. Sure. Is that right? Absolutely. Grew up on the west side of Columbus. Um, both my mom and dad are from western Ohio. They grew up on farms, and as was typical in that era, um, after World War II, uh, my father, who didn't particularly care for farming, uh, got a degree in accounting and ultimately became a CPA. And so right after marriage, my mom and dad uh, moved to Columbus, and it was there on the west side uh, that they raised uh, six children. Um, there were three girls and three um, boys, and because they were German, we alternated. Girl, boy, girl, boy, girl, boy. <laughs> I remember my dad telling me that uh, when David, the youngest, was born, I was having a conversation with him, and I was absolutely convinced that this sixth would be a boy, and he tried to tell me it may not work that way, but um, he was wrong. It did work that way. So anyway, <laughs> we grew up uh, as a very close family, both in terms of the immediate family, the eight of us, and then also very connected to um, my uh, relatives who continue to live in the rural part of Shelby County, a lot of farmers. Um, dad was one of 10, mom was one of eight, and so on both sides of the family have got something like 67 cousins. Wow. And so um, it's a, it was a great thing to be able to both live in the city and then um, I would often spend um, some summers out on relatives' farms. So kind of had the the uh, uh, best of both worlds. Um, and no doubt you were put to work while you were out. Absolutely. I know what it means to bale hay and to spread manure and um, to do all of those things. That's awesome. <laughs> yep. Um, talk a little bit about the west side. I don't know exactly which years you were there. I know... Um, people think certain things when you maybe say hilltop these right, days. Right. I've experienced on the west side. I coach football uh -huh. at uh, Columbus West and okay. Westland. So yes. I spent my fair share of time yeah. out there. Um, just what are some good memories of that time, that, that area in particular? Yeah, well, I grew up on in what was referred to as the Westgate area. So kind of as you come up the hill from uh, Franklinton, 
um, kind of the first neighborhood you encounter uh, was the hilltop and that was the parish of St. Aloysius and then the next parish was our parish St. Mary Magdalene which was geographically a rather small tight parish again made up of um, folks that um, were um, all um, part of the baby boomers our parents uh, after the war settled there and so um, a lot going on. The school was, St. Mary Magdalene School was packed. I remember we had over 60 students in one classroom. That was not unusual for those days. And so um, the good sisters, we had sisters, Franciscan sisters from Juliet, Illinois teaching us. They did a great job, but uh, it was a tight ship, had to be. Um, so in terms of age difference in your mm -hmm. siblings, were you in school with some of your siblings at the same time? I was. There's a little bit of, especially the first three of us were pretty um, spread out. Sharon uh, is the oldest, and I'm three, year young, three years younger than she is. And then Anne, I'm four years older than her. And then the next three, um, Kevin, Lynn, and David are a little bit tighter. Gotcha. So, um, so, you know, it was an interesting dynamic because we were separated. Kevin is seven years younger than I am, so there wasn't that kind of, you know, closeness with the brothers, right. you know. And so, um, but, yeah, going through school, um, Sharon led the way, and I followed. And, and then we all also, after grade school at St. Mary Magdalene, we attended Bishop Reedy High School. On the yeah. West side. yeah, yeah. So talk about Bishop Reedy back then. How big was the school? The school was oh probably around I'm thinking we were, we had classes of about 150 each or so so you know 700 yeah. 700 kids yeah um, again all from the west side you know um, um, what, it, yeah what was what was Craig Eilerman like in high school <laughs> before he became before he father. became a priest yeah. yeah yeah I've got to say I was a pretty shy kid. Um, so I was not someone that was out and about. I didn't have uh, great athletic ability or so. I was kind of the quiet kid um, and um, enjoyed high school, had a uh, group of, of close friends, but um, wasn't your kind of your typical high school person. Sure. Yeah. So Father, when did you start to feel like the priesthood was where you wanted to go yeah well a couple things i think um it's probably somewhere in seventh eighth grade people start asking you what do you want to do what you know and um at that time there was a film that was released um about saint francis of assisi i remember going to see that um it that had an impact on me and i thought for a while that i would uh perhaps become a Franciscan. I had one of my dad's sisters is a religious sister, a, a nun, uh, Sister Marge, um, and she is a Franciscan from Tiffin, Ohio. Um, still living, still doing great work in Eastern Kentucky. And so I think there was that kind of influence. She influenced me because um, I saw uh, religious in the church as not being um, out of the ordinary as being regular human beings. And I think the priests at St. Mary Magdalene and certainly the priests once I got to Bishop Reedy were also that way. I saw them as very approachable and could, could speak with them. So you know, seventh and eighth grade, just beginning to think about it. Um, somewhere, um, I think the beginning of junior year, I talked to a priest about it and um, he, you know, I was very much kind of on the fence and, and he gave me some great advice and I've passed this advice on to um, other um, young men who are thinking about priesthood. He said, the decision you have to make after high school is not if you want to be a priest, but do you want to go to seminary? And that just took a tremendous amount of, of weight off my shoulders. Oh, well, that's easier. Yeah, it's you, a lot of, yeah. You don't have to figure this whole thing out now. And so, you know, that's what I did. You yeah. know, um, began to speak with the vocation director that actually um, was from um, Lancaster, uh, Father Schomer, and began, and we chose a... Uh, 
at that time we had a little bit more choice in the college seminary that we would attend and uh, I actually chose to go to St. Meinrad in southern Indiana which is staffed by Benedictine priests and um, so it's, it was a decision just to you know, take one year at a time. That's kind of how it unfolded. So did you have a particular role model or did just the sheer amount of priests and religious that you were around? Yeah, I think a couple in high school. Um, two in particular, I, I thought, you know, uh, struck me as a role model. One was uh, Father uh, Bill Maroon, uh, who is now deceased. His brother, he has a brother, Don, who's still a priest, uh, still living. Uh, but uh, Father Maroon was a very affable man. He's uh, Lebanese. He, he always made you feel comfortable in his presence. And I think him and a few other priests that were in the high school at that time made this seem to be something that, that I wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. I was... Um... I wasn't raised Catholic. I mm -hmm. went to St. Francis de Sales High School in Columbus, obviously mm -hmm. somewhat rivals of Bishop Reedy. Correct. Um, wow. So they could have used you as an athlete father. Either way, trust me, they could have used you. Um, but you, you talk about humanizing priests and religious. Mm -hmm. and, and since I didn't grow up around that, I remember I was at a friend's house, high school friend, and uh, his family was really close with, with uh, the one of the priests at St. Anthony. Uh, Father Galoni, actually. Mm -hmm. We were over there for the National Championship basketball game. I think it was Ohio State playing Florida. And I remember seeing him, and he was drinking like a glass of scotch. And it like blew me away. I'm like, yeah. what? He's allowed to do that? Yeah. He's a person? And, yeah. you know, ended up getting to know him a lot better over the next couple mm -hmm. of years. And just uh, the idea that, that, that priests, nuns, religious bishops, the Pope, right? they're people too. They sure are. They sure are. So hopefully, you know, that's one of the things we want to do with this podcast is get to know Father Eilerman a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, outside of, of the priesthood. You can't really separate those two things, though, can you? You can't. I mean, I, I think, you know, um, the vocation of being a priest is, um, you know, a vocation just like that of a married person. And once you're married, it's pretty hard to separate yourself from, from your spouse and that identity. That's who you are. You become a couple. And so the same thing is with with a religious vocation, you, your identity is very much um, caught up with, with the church. You know, the church is your spouse in all kinds of ways. And so that is the definitive mark of who you are. Um, but that doesn't do away with your um, individuality any, any more than because you're married, you no longer have an individual reality you know the, the the wife is still the wife and the husband's still the husband and all of those differences come out and we're all very different people you know you just need to be in a room of priests to realize that each one is very different um and that of course is is the grace of god god uses those differences and those unique qualities to minister to his people and no two priests do that in the same way do you you talked a little bit about uh, being attracted to the Franciscans. Uh -huh. um, it, how does that work with, with priests and, and, and find those out? Because each of those orders have their own charisms. Right, right. So can you tell us, maybe tell us a little bit about a few of them and, and some okay. charisms if you could. I think people are really interested in that. Well, the, 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 the alternative, the three alternatives to diocesan priesthood that I gave serious thought to was one, the Franciscans to the Benedictines because both at St. Meinrad and at St. Vincent's in Latrobe, those seminaries were, were um, staffed by Benedictine monks. And then I also um, spent a, a week with the um, Glen Mary missionaries. They are home missionaries. They work primarily in the southern half of the United States, a lot in Appalachia. And so I, I looked at all three of those you know the Franciscans are you know a mendicant order that means that they are called to live out a life of community among the community among the world so they are not cloistered as the Benedictines are they're out in the world they're working with folks they have a particular charism to care for the poor 
Um, they are um, oftentimes in places where um, uh, the inner city, um, where uh, those that struggle with poverty live. So there was something about all of that that, that struck me. Uh, the Benedictines, on the other side, on the other hand, uh, live in monasteries, and their ministries basically are within the the monasteries. And so, of course, they're the ones that started the universities in Europe. They have a great educational uh, history. Um, you know, it was the the Benedictine monks who, throughout uh, the Middle Ages, you know, copied all those transcripts, not only of scripture but of other um, works, scientific works, you know, and so, um, and their charism is, is one of prayer, especially praying the Psalms, which I continue to be kind of a, a, a primary um, devotion of mine. I enjoy praying the Psalms, I enjoy, especially doing that in community, um, but they, they make a, um, a vow of stability to a particular monastery, which means that that's where they're going to live. They're not, they're the opposite of mendicants. They aren't moving around. And then when I looked at the Glen Marys, um, they, uh, of course, were a missionary group, but home missionaries, you know. And again, going, uh, ministering to the poor, but not in the city so much, but in the rural areas, especially in Appalachia, where um, there is a... a you know, a very low population of Catholics, and so doing that kind of ministry. There, of course, are all kinds of religious communities and orders. You know, um, I heard someone once um, compare uh, the military to this, and that, you know, the regular army is the diocesan priest, and then the special forces are the, the, um, the religious orders, and they were all founded at a particular time to meet a particular need in the church. You, know, you think about the Jesuits being formed right after the um, Protestant uh, Reformation and the desire then to, to um, address the needs of the church at that time, and so very educated schools, of course, those sort of things. So, Yeah, thank you for that. That's, uh -huh. that's always fascinating. Uh, Father, give us a picture of a normal day in the life of Father Craig Eilerman, assuming that the bishop or the Vatican isn't on the line with you. Okay, they are not. They are not. And one of the same things that uh, one of the priests talked talk to me when I was first thinking about priesthood was he said, you know, as soon as you become a pastor, you really are in an incredible position to influence that parish almost any way you want to, you know? I mean, when you think about it, the we we see the church is very higher 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 um what's the word hierarchical but there's very few steps you have the priest you have the bishop you have the pope there's not a lot of mental management in the in the catholic church and so when you are named a pastor you have the ability to really set your priorities, to do what you what you want to do in response to the needs of that parish, and that's that's very important. But you know, it's not like you know working for a big corporation like Apple or something else, where a lot of things are coming down through through um, the the pipeline. You know, this this is these are the goals for this year. So there's some of that certainly set by the Pope, some of that set by the bishop, but in a lot of ways, the way you flush that out, the way you live that is up to the, up to the pastor. So I have to say that one of the things I have never, ever been as a Catholic priest is bored. <laughs> I'm, you know, every day is different. Um, I can open up, I'm, I'm a dinosaur. I still use a desk um, calendar. I haven't moved to a, to a, uh, phone calendar so I can look at that day and know that um, this may be what's scheduled, but it it may not happen that way at all. And so one of the, the uh, images that I use is your life is somewhat like driving a standard shift car, all right? Not an automatic because at any given moment, you've got to have the coordination to 
lay on the clutch and to shift and shift quickly, you know. And as as I've gone through um, 37 years of priesthood, um, I've gotten better. I don't grind my gears as often, but it still happens. You yeah. know, it still happens. And so there's always something new. Is that one of the biggest or bigger surprises of the priesthood that, that you didn't anticipate was have, I guess, first of all, is that how you, uh, as a person, are, are you pretty agile in terms or, or are you more rigid and you like things a certain way? I like things a certain way. I need order. Yeah. Um, you know, I say that only one person can create out of chaos, and that's God. So if you put me in a chaotic situation, um, I may not do real well. But but I'm I'm learning to do that. I'm. I think you know you can't you can't let just because you've got something planned or you think it's going to happen this way that that's the way it's going to happen. Um, for me, you know, one of the little phrases I try to use for myself and and um, Im- imbued into the staff is, you know, just because our best efforts do not always produce the best results, we don't stop giving our best efforts. And so I, I do like to be organized. I do like to have things planned. Then what happens happens, but... Uh, I'm, I can I can go with the flow then, but I I do like things to you know. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson, I think, said it best when it comes to that: is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? <laughs> yes. Everybody has a plan, and then yeah. then you got to yeah. adjust accordingly. Yeah. So yeah, uh, you mentioned you've been a priest for thirty-seven years now. Correct. You've had a lot of stops along the way that right. ultimately brought you to Lancaster. Which it's interesting. You mentioned your vocations director was yeah. based in Lancaster. Yes, yes. And so he grew up here. He grew he was, up. Here. He was the son of Saint Mary's. Yeah, yeah that's fascinating, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that it connection. is. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But a couple other stops uh, you made, and we're not going to outline everything here. But um, you were the chaplain for Bishop Rosecrans mm-hmm. High School in Zanesville. Correct. What is that like with? Uh, being a chaplain and around young people, and, yeah. and what does that look like? It's it's very invigorating, you know. Um, our school system, our Catholic school system, is a tremendous, tremendous resource, and I don't think we often appreciate it. And we, I think, we owe a tremendous amount of of gratitude to the religious sisters who staffed those schools for so long and got them going and did that, you know, for basically, you know, for nothing. They never got paid, you know, they got room and housing and that was it, you know. One of the things I like to to tell to say to folks sometimes was, oh, when I went to school back in the 50s, we only paid you know, $5 a year for book fees, you know, and now it's, you know, $4,000, you know, da, 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 da. I said, the education, Catholic education, has always cost that much. The difference is who paid for it. Yep. And the sisters paid for it. They paid for it with their lives. And so now we, they're not there. And so, you know, it's not that the cost has gone up. It's just who bears the weight right, for right. that. And so, yeah. And speaking of that, there's been Ed Choice expansion recently, right? right? So we won't go into all the particulars, but yes. if, if you want more information, you can certainly find that. Maybe we'll yes. add a link to our show notes. Right, right. I encourage anyone who is wants a Catholic education for their children, um, it is in reach of everyone. Everyone can get it. Yep. Awesome. Uh, another um, one of your stops was at St. Cecilia. You were there for... Mm. That was my first pastorate. It was kind of nice. I was back on the west side. St. Cecilia's is farther west than I grew up. It's on the on to on the other side of 270 on the on the west. But as often happens in a city, each generation moves out one little thing. So I ran into classmates, I ran into folks that had been at St. Mary Magdalene but had moved out a little bit farther west, and so that was all very good and very helpful. It was um a uh, young parish, in some ways, it had been founded as a missionary parish long, long time ago. Um, I'm not remembering the date now. And it was basically, you know, farm families that went to that. And then the the city expanded. Yep. And so in the 
80s, they, they built a new church, and that had just really been completed um, before I arrived. Not actually in the 90s they built it, and, and I arrived in 97. I think the church was maybe three or four years old. The church building at that time, though the parish was much older. It also had a school, and so it, it was a great first parish uh, in a lot of ways. A lot of things going on, active. It was um, had, um, a great Knights of Columbus Council there, based in the parish there. The school was, was uh, um, growing. We, we had a, a wonderful festival, and that was always a high point of the year. So lots of good things there. I think I, I miss the festivals growing up. There was, on the north side especially, it seemed like every parish had their own summer mm-hmm. festival, which was always a yeah. blast to go to. Yeah. Um, so uh, there might be something in the works here uh, for the St. Mark Council. We'll, we'll have to see. Uh, details to, to follow. One, one last thing about uh, your time at, at St. Cecilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1999, you were actually asked to go to the Ohio Senate and lead them in opening prayer. Correct. Um, you can go find this and, and see Father, a young Father Eilerman <laughs> out there uh, praying before the Ohio Senate. Pretty, what are you saying, Mike? Pretty incredible. <laughs> well, younger. He's still a young man. Okay. Um, but tell us a little bit about that experience, how that, how that came about and what that was like. Yes, well, um, it was really through a friend of the friend who knew um, one of the senator's um, assistants, a young man, and he knew uh, knew of me, and they wanted someone to, they, I think, took turns praying, and so he asked me if I would um, be open to doing that, and I said, sure. Um, I remember that I knew they, there was some farm um legislation on the table at that time and so um, I created my prayer kind of to reflect that. I think I um, sought the intercession of St. Isidore who's the patron of farmers. I can't quite remember. Um, So don't know, can't remember whether that legislation passed or if I had any influence but um, that was certainly on my mind during that prayer. Yeah, sure there was good fruit uh, from that. And so in a in a setting like that, right, when you're you're praying before people, mm-hmm. a everybody's not a Christian, right? You know, everybody's certainly not a Catholic, right? Um, it makes me think uh, you. Uh, there was an article in the paper for around this past Easter, is April of 2023, mm-hmm. um, and your quote is saying everyone has some sort of faith, and that may not be in something that is necessarily transcendent or supernatural, but something that they make decisions out of and they move forward with. A lot of people today would say science is my faith or a particular philosophy. As a Catholic priest and as a Christian, my faith is based in the biblical God as it's been revealed, especially through Jesus Christ, his son. Um, you also go on in the article to talk about, you know, what's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Uh, it answers those fundamental questions. Mm-hmm. Who am I? Why am I here? What's my purpose? Right. When one has faith, then one discovers the purpose and meaning of their life. So, Maybe some some folks were lacking in faith, or when you go into settings like that where you're not speaking mm-hmm. to Catholics or, or Christians mm-hmm. necessarily, what are some of the things that you try to to talk about, or um, I don't know, ins- inspire faith in them? Yeah, well, I think you begin with that premise that everyone does have a faith, and rather that science or philosophy, what have they built the life on? Now, a lot of people don't recognize that. They couldn't articulate that. And I think that's a real challenge for us today because people were not teaching people to have a philosophical understanding of the world, you know? And so people seem to be moved from one thing to another without uh, a premise. And so I think one of the great things that the Catholic Church has to offer the world is this understanding and this belief that there is truth and that there is an eternal truth and that all things are not relative. Uh, We live in a time in which we kind of believe everything's relative. And so I think when I'm in a setting which isn't necessarily Catholic or Christian or even religious, to be able to say, to come to that Uh, place where we agree on what the truth is you know it may not be a universal truth at that time but it is a truth you know a truth that you know we should take care of the less fortunate in our society we should 
um, always work towards the common good, those sort of things, you know. All of those things are certainly true within Christianity and with, within the Catholic Church, but then you can build, and then you can bring in, I think, this idea of a transcendent. So, you know, if they are someone of science, then, you know, you ask the great, you know, question of, of, uh, of St. Um, Augustine, you know, or, and I'm sorry, St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, where's the unmoved mover? You know, yep. um, or the question of, you know, you can, we begin now to understand more and more how the world, the universe was created, but how do you answer the question why? And those are the places where um, uh, people of faith can provide that. And even in an area that, you know, you just don't say, well, it was God, but why? Why, why would God create? Why, why was this done, you know? Um, and begin to expand people's understanding of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Just finding that common ground. Mm -hmm. um, I always like to bring up uh, Father George Lemaitre. Uh, he was the priest who discovered the Big Bang. Mm -hmm. I think that really surprises a lot of people. When right. You, you know, that Catholicism and science can actually go hand in hand, right? They're not opposing. They're crisis. absolutely, you know, and, and one of the biggest examples of that is our calendar. We, we follow a calendar that was set by a pope, you know. Yeah. And before that, it was a good three months off. So, you know, and that was only done through the study of astronomy, you know. And uh, again, our, our the good Jesuit fathers were able to set the calendar straight, you know. And uh, we all we all follow it because it is the most accurate calendar we have. Um, you you did a segment, and, and I know you've been a busy man, quotes in the newspaper. Um, you did a segment on St. Gabriel Radio called uh, St. Gabriel Cafe, and it's only about a 15-minute listen. I would encourage our listeners to go, go listen to that in your interview. One of the things that, that you talked about or you touched on was just – the God of surprises. Mm -hmm. You know, there are some certain things that you can have the foresight of knowing, hey, this is coming up, this mm -hmm. is coming up, things that are on your calendar. Right. The God of surprises will indeed surprise you and add things to your plate that maybe right. you didn't consider. That's right. Um, so you, you talk about some of the things um, at St. Mary that you, you had the foresight to know that were, right. were coming. Right. Okay. And then maybe a few things that were thrown on your plate that you didn't sure. expect. Sure. Well, first of all, even my appointment at St. Mary was, was a big surprise. Unfortunately, it was, that was all set in motion by the death of a priest. And so at that time, Bishop Campbell um, had to scramble to reorganize some pastors. And I had just been two years pastor at Christ the King. And while it was a very good assignment for me, the parish was growing in its um, Hispanic population and I I am not gifted with being able to speak Spanish nor is is our languages as a whole something that I'm I'm very good at and so I was doing my best to kind of bring these two uh, very different communities together and so when Bishop Campbell called and said hey um, you know we had a priest die I want to move the current pastor of St. Mary's in Lancaster up to German Village would you be willing to do this? I, I thought it was a good fit because also then he would be able to move into the position of pastor, Christ the King, a bilingual priest who could do a much better job than I was able to do. So that was that was a surprise. And so getting at St. Mary's, I had served at St. Mary's as an associate 14 years earlier, just for one year, right before I became pastor of uh, St. Cecilius. And so I was familiar with the community. I've always, I enjoyed my year here. I think Lancaster's just a, a wonderful place. It's, it's a tremendously historical place. It's one of the oldest uh, um, cities in Columbus. Um, it's Catholic history is, is wonderful too. Um, um, it's 30 minutes from Columbus and 30 minutes from Hocking Hills. So whatever you want, you can have in that way. So anyway, I, I arrived and I soon realized that some very significant anniversaries were coming up. And one was the anniversary of the first mass, the, the um, bicentennial of that first mass. 
that was celebrated in Lancaster, then the bicentennial of the founding of the parish, then the 150th anniversary of the construction of, of the church, and so began almost immediately um, pulling people together to plan for these, these significant events in, in the life of the parish. So began to do that um, in preparation for the 150th anniversary of the construction of the church, its consecration, um, I undertook the project of beautifying the interior of the, of the church. We first actually replaced the 150-year-old slate roof. that had never been replaced before and uh, put slate back on it because if it lasted for 150 <laughs> years, it'll last another 150 right. years. And so, and then we began to look at the interior of that of that church and and we did get that pulled off after a capital campaign and brought in a wonderful architect um, Bill Heyer and I think we restored uh, the the church to uh, um, uh, the beauty that it, that it first had when it was built it was um, soon after that of course that was in 2019 Bishop um, Campbell was still bishop. He celebrated the beginning of a year-long celebration. Um, and then, uh, as we all know, in 2020, the world changed um, pretty significantly with the outbreak of the COVID uh, pandemic. And so a lot of our plans that we had, we were doing some sort of significant event um, each month during that year, had to be put on hold. We did have a closing mass for that anniversary year in which uh, now Bishop Brennan presided over. And that had to be scaled back greatly. We were all sitting, you know, every other pew and 10 feet apart. And instead of having kind of a big dinner ahead of time with the clergy, it was just me and, and, and Bishop Brennan. And uh, somewhere between the salad and the dessert, he turned to me and said, I have a question for you. And I thought, oh, no, <laughs> okay, all right, you know. And he said, would you consider seeking the title of minor basilica for St. Mary's? And um, uh, I immediately said, Bishop, I didn't know what I thought. Maybe you were going to ask him to move. I had no idea. <laughs> and so I said, sure. And uh, we began to investigate that. And with the help of then our director of religious education, um, Brian McCauley, we um, um, began the process of, of um, seeking that title, which is, is quite lengthy. Um, there's a whole um, a series of questions and, um, that you need to answer and also provide um, photographs and other things. And Brian just did a great job with that. And ultimately, we were um, given the title of minor basilica so it's an extremely uh, nice reward for a parish that has been around for the length of st right. mary's basically the mother church of lancaster right right uh, for all intents and purposes yeah. but uh, that was uh, well received yes yeah and i think it's you know it's a statement of faith for for the catholic community you know one of the it's interesting that up until the late 50s, there was only one parish in Lancaster, St. Mary. Um, if you look at a lot of the other towns in Ohio, the parishes split very early, usually along uh, um, ethnic backgrounds. You had an Irish church and a German church, but for whatever reason, um, Lancaster, those two groups got along and they continued. And it wasn't really until that baby boom that and when the glass companies here in Lancaster were going full force, that the decision was made to, to form two new parishes, St. Mark and St. Bernadette. Bishop Fernandez, he did an article um, where he was asked questions uh, about um, St. Mary becoming the, the minor basilica. And he was quoted, and I, I thought this was great. He said, perhaps we hear a lot about what's going wrong in the church today, but here we celebrate what's gone right in Lancaster. For more than 200 years, the mission of the church has been carried out by people, carried out, and people have given praise, thanks, and glory to God for his many blessings. Mm -hmm. And I see, you know, when you look back at the history, 200 years of St. Mary, that's incredible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as as the St. Mark Parish is, is coming to a close here, 
it, it's more of a re reunification, right, of of the church in Lancaster. It certainly is, you know, and um, there's there's a lot, a lot of I think blessings with the two parishes merging, and we've already discovered that both parishes have strong um, attributes that are unique to them. And one of the models I've taken is Pope Benedict's um, three reasons for the existence of a church. And he was talking, of course, on the universal level, but it's also very, can be easily, you know, um, transposed to three reasons for the existence of a parish. And those three reasons are one, to worship God, two, to evangelize, and three, care of the poor. And I think um, St. Mark and St. Mary complement each other very, very well in these three areas. The challenge, of course, at this time in history where um, less and less people are believers is evangelization. And um, with that, we've hired a, a new um, director of faith formation evangelization, uh, Shannon uh, Leonard. And we've got a lot of good things going on, one of which is the upcoming um, uh, small group study uh, on the Eucharist to coincide with the Eucharistic revival that the U.S. bishops have called, called us to. So um, lots of other things happening. St. Mark has a tremendous uh, care for those on the fringe of society. I think Pope Francis would have a very special place in his heart for St. Mark for what they've done in terms of the food pantry, um, Bridges of St. Mark, their outreach and caring for the poor around them. And uh, I think, again, we complement each other very well. Father, is the merger kind of going the way you thought it would, or any surprises? It, it is going the way it is going. You know, again, you, you know, it's one of these things that if you would have asked me, well, how will this go? You know, I would have said, well, you know, there'll be this great plan and everyone, everything will be spelled out. And, and it's really not been that way. It just can't be that way, you know. Um, and so it's been a lot of this is what needs to be done. You, you know, you as the rector of St. Mary's and as the administrator of St. Mark need to kind of figure out how this is doing. And the first thing was to create and bring together a transition team, um, which I think we have a great transition team, very gifted people from both parishes to begin to do this. And, you know, there was no timeline given to us as to when it needed to be accomplished. We wanted to do it slowly. We wanted to make sure that people were brought on board. We know it's, a, it's difficult. The transition team is very aware of the difficulty and, and the sadness. People, you know, St. Mark's been around for 60 years. Yes, it came from St. Mary's. Yes, it's going back to St. Mary's. But within those 60 years, developed its own personality, its own way of being parish. It's a smaller um, community. And in that way, it's, it's, you know, it's a different community, you know, yep. not different, better, just different. And so trying to be attentive to all of that and make sure that, uh, you know, people feel that they're being listened to while on the same uh, um, wavelength, on the same projectile, you know, this is what's happening. The, you know, St. Mark's will close down. Uh, we will be merged, um, but we're going to keep the property here, and we're going to use it, especially, you know, for uh, evangelization and and care of the poor. And so it's a it's a great it's a great resource, and I I think almost everyone understands that we are going to be stronger coming together than we were separate. I agree, I totally agree. And and you mentioned the the transition. Uh, council mm -hmm. um, and the people who, who comprise that and there's obviously some great people there and it's been a tremendous amount of work for this to happen um, I don't think this was anything that really anybody asked for obviously right but the amount of people from both parishes coming together working together and, and making the best out of the situation I think is truly incredible and there's too many names to mention right now but uh, we appreciate everybody giving their time and their talents uh, as we kind of go through this process. Yep. Yeah. Shifting 
shifting gears, um, I, I want to ask just a little bit more about you, Father. And okay. I know you probably haven't had a lot of downtime in the past <laughs> few years, but yeah. let's hypothetically, you have some downtime. Right. What do you like to do? You, you like to fish? You read? All right. Well, things have changed. As, as I approach 70, and I've got to kind of remind myself of that, right now, my... my my big physical activity is walking. I've always been a walker. I enjoy walking. It's not unusual for me um, in good weather to, to walk five miles. I like that, like, you know, good hour, an hour and a half walk. Um, that's probably the thing that I do outside. I enjoy films. I, I love to travel. I, you know, for me, spending money on traveling is the best thing to do. I, I love um, encountering different cultures, different, different um, countries. Um, just that's very exciting to me. So those are the things that I do now. I used to do quite a bit of snow skiing and also um, hiking um, somewhere around 50. Uh, sleeping on the ground didn't sound all that enjoyable anymore. And skiing, um, my ski buddy is is no longer able to do it. So we've kind of you know sure. that's gone. Yeah, like snow trails. You're not really skiing in Ohio anymore. Right, they can't right. make enough snow. It's yeah. been too warm. But yeah. how about your travels? Won't you share with us maybe a place you've been, great sure. impact, or I don't know. So one one of the priests that have had a tremendous influence on me is, is Father Jerry Staluka, and he served as associate pastor at St. Mary's at one time. He's actually my my ski buddy. Um, but in 1980. So I was uh, in my second year of theology, two years from being ordained. He invited me and a friend of mine who was also in seminary to go to the Eucharistic Congress in Nairobi, Kenya. Kenya. And he had known from his times, his studies in seminary in Rome, um, two African priests. So he wanted to go back over and visit. So we did this trip. It was a wonderful experience of the universality of the church. Africa was just amazing. We did a um, safari in uh, in Tanzania. Went down to Tanzania, did that. Uh, just an incredible trip. Uh, we started off it's my first time overseas. Started off four days in Rome. I went up to Sisi, and then we were in uh, Kenya for about two and a half weeks, and then we ended by three days in Greece. Wow. So it was it was a tremendous, and we did it all with small backpacks on our back. It was, of course, the day you could put everything in a backpack, and we always, we never checked luggage. Uh, we did laundry every day. Again, probably something I could never do again. But when you're in your 20s, you can do a lot of things. And it was, it was great fun. Yeah, you didn't have to worry about Wi-Fi. No, didn't worry about <laughs> Wi-Fi. Time. Didn't worry. I had a pocket knife in my my backpack, and of course that stayed with me the whole time, which is impossible now. And yeah, uh, it was great. Yeah, I'm flying out this weekend. I got to take my work laptop, my regular computer, my Kindle Scribe, my whatever. It just it never ends. So yeah, and of course you know I was out in touch with everyone for almost four and a half weeks, and that's in, that's you know. I like guess impossible now. Yeah. You don't do that. So with with such a large family, mm -hmm. um, are they spread out around the country now? Do you get to see them often? Maybe not. Actually, often, but... they're not. Um, four of my siblings still live on the west side. Actually, two in Hilliard and two in Grove City. I have one sister that lives in Mississippi. She's the only one that uh, isn't there. We get together very regularly. My youngest sister lives in Grove City. They have uh, a pool. And so uh, Saturday and Sunday... Almost throughout uh, pool season, it's open. Just come by, stop nice. in, bring something to share. And um, so we're together for all the major holidays. So it's, it's very nice. That's it awesome. really is. Well, Father, do you have any thoughts for the future? Um, what do you see coming up? Yeah, I don't know. You know, again, the God of surprises. Who knows? You know, um, obviously, my my primary goal right now is to uh, see this uh, process of merging St. Mark and St. Mary together. That's that's the biggest thing. So retirement, we as a priest, we are able to retire at 70. So that's three and a half years away. I often think that it's, you know, it looks different when you get to that point than it does before, you know. So 
Um, I don't don't know. May may seek. We are able to on a year to year basis ask to stay longer from the bishop, if that makes sense. Um, but things are are moving a lot. It's a much different diocese and a much different church than when I was ordained 37 years ago. So I'm not sure. I would certainly want to continue, even if I retired, to be active, um, to you know continue to celebrate Mass and do other sacramental work in, in parishes. So Now some of the numbers are starting to pick up mm-hmm. in the uh, Josephinum. So there's right. Maybe some rays of sunshine. Right, 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 right. They are, and we're we're doing very well, you know, um, in terms of, of bringing those numbers up. Um, uh, as I, you know, sometimes like to say, you know, it's also something about not counting your your chickens before they're hatched, because um, you know, basically, as I look at things in in my since I'm being ordained, Columbus has probably on the average brought in, you know, three priests, three ordinations a year. Sometimes there's been five or seven guys. Some years there've been none, you know, so you average those two together, you're back down to averaging, you know, three a year. So, you know, we need to get it back up to where we're doing five, seven every year, year after year after year. And I don't think we're there yet, but it does look more promising than it had. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, Father, we really appreciate your time today. Is there anything else you want to mention before we, we let you go? <laughs> I just want to thank you for this opportunity. This is great. This has been great. You guys do a great job. Um, and, um, you know, I just, anyone that's, that's listening to things, you know, if you're Catholic and you're a man, check out your Knights of Columbus Council. If you're not Catholic, um, check out the Catholic Church. I think, um, if you're searching for something, I think you may well find it uh, within the Catholic Church. Wonderful. Thank you, Father. May we have your blessing before we go. Absolutely. The Lord be with you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You're welcome. Thank you. I think that was a little better.